The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. What does it look like to be content? When you think of someone being content with life, what is it that is brought to your mind? Depending on your current life circumstances and your past circumstances in life, this answer might look different for each of us as different people. Also, I think there are times where we can have moments of contentment. For instance, I have memories growing up as a kid in South Central Missouri with heavy snow coming down. Let me grab, let me grab this one. Check, there we go. With, with heavy snow coming down, with school being canceled, all huddled around a kerosene heater watching television. This was in my life, one of those times where I can think of just being in a moment of contentment. There wasn't much that could have impacted my life at that time. I was just overall content. Have you ever experienced those fleeting moments of being completely content? What would it look like, though, to have not just a simple moment of contentment, but to have a life of contentment? A life that is marked with contentment. In order to understand what a life marked by contentment is, I think it's important we define what it means to be content. ChatGPT defines contentment as a state of mind and emotional well-being characterized by a sense of satisfaction and acceptance of one's current circumstances, possessions, or life situation. It involves a lack of excessive desire for more or different things, and it's often associated with a feeling of peace, gratitude, and fulfillment. It continues. Content individuals are generally at ease with what they have, experience minimal jealousy or envy, and can find joy in the present moment and their existing life circumstances. Contentment does not necessarily mean a lack of ambition or goals, but rather a state of balance where one's desires are not driven by a constant craving for more or better possessions or circumstances. Notice the key in this definition. It's not current circumstances, current possessions, or life situations, but it's a state of mind that procures contentment. Another way to say this, it's not the content of your life that produces contentment. Just pause for a second. Just take an inventory of your current circumstances, of your current possessions or lack thereof, your current life situation. These areas have a huge impact on our well-being and our state of mind. However, we can still be content without any of these things. You know how I know this. It's because I've seen it. I've seen people that have been in circumstances that I would define as terrible. 
they lack possessions. Their life is a situation that I would never hope for, yet there's a sense of contentment in them that is so attractive. It's almost a feeling of jealousy within me when I see them. I don't desire to lack what they lack, but I do desire to gain what they have, despite them never gaining much of anything. Uh, This image was taken a few years back. Uh, Myself, our lead pastor, Justin, and my dad, uh, who is, by chance, a professional photographer, uh, went on a trip to Ethiopia. There was um, a, a purpose for us going. We were looking at international church planting and went to Ethiopia to explore uh, what the international church was doing there. This was before the unrest of the country of Ethiopia truly occurred. We saw during our time there lots of poverty. We saw a lot of lack. However, we also saw a lot of contentment. These boys here are standing on a muddy bank with tattered clothes that barely fit them. That thing behind them to uh, the left, that's actually their homemade boat. They are fishing here with sticks and some string. And yet, they seem to be very content with life. Is it possible that we here in the American church, the church of the West, the church specifically of Stone Oak Bible Church, Is it possible that we have exchanged something else for contentment? Is it possible that the currency that we are chasing after is in fact the wrong currency? Is it possible that our currency of circumstances, our currency of commodities, our currency of condition, these are actually the wrong currencies to chase after? This morning we're gonna look at what God has revealed to us already in his word. Specifically, we'll look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. If you have your Bibles, you can begin to open them. We're going to look at what the actual currency of contentment is. I'll read our text again. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. The Word of God says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Here's the main point of the text and the main point of my sermon today. The currency of contentment is found in Christ alone. The currency of contentment is found in Christ alone. We'll look through these verses to see how God communicates to us. First, the text says in verse 6 that godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness is is an easy concept, I think, for us to understand. However, it's an extremely hard thing for us to do to be. Godliness is being like God. This is our goal. 
as Christians. From the time that you were justified by Christ, you have been on this road of sanctification. This road is ultimately leading you towards glorification when you will ultimately be made whole. The current road that you are walking on of sanctification is a road of godliness. You should look more like Christ today than you did yesterday. You should look more like Christ tomorrow than you do today. This is godliness. It isn't fast. It isn't easy. It is a slow growth that oftentimes is so minuscule that it might even look like stagnation. However, small growth consistently produces large growth over time. How does this interact with our contentment? We are content and we are not content when it comes to our sanctification. I am content with my justification. I am content with Christ for my salvation. This is what we just celebrated in our time of communion. I'm content in the work of the Spirit for my sanctification. I am content in the work of the Father for my ultimate glorification. I'm content in all things related to my salvation and my security of salvation. I'm content in all of the works that God has done on my behalf. I am not content with my sin. I am not content to a point of complacency. This text here, it transitions us from discussing our godliness to our contentment in life. In fact, verse 6 points directly to this contentment. It is good for you to be content. It isn't good for you to be complacent, but it is good for you to be content. We, however, live in a society that continually pushes forward this discontentment. This morning, my hope is that the currency you strive for, it's not a currency of circumstances, it's not a currency of commodities, it's not a currency of condition. My hope is that the currency that you strive for is a currency of contentment. This text is very practical in its nature. Look at the following verses. We'll make some comments and we'll give some potentials for application. This morning, we are going to talk about our belongings. We're going to talk about our money and how much these things mean to us. Whether your bank account and your houses and your garages are filled or you're barely getting by, I believe God's word has something to say to us. This passage is not about abundance or lack but it's instead, like so many other things that we find within Scripture, it's about our hearts. Verse 7 highlights our birth and our death. You brought nothing into this world, and you won't take anything out of this world. What is it that you have entered into this world with? Nothing. What will you exit this world with? Nothing. We can spend an insane amount of time trying to collect things in our lifetimes, money, Cars, houses, titles, fill in the blank. When you die, none of that comes with you. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says this. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are you laying up for yourself here on earth? If you were to do a quick survey, what is it that you do treasure? We entered into this world in a very much a, a helpless state. Have you been around any babies recently? If not, let me plug in. Children's ministry is always looking for some volunteers. If you would like to be around babies more, talk to Ross. He would love to plug you in. Babies are in a constant need of somebody else to care for them. They bring nothing to the table except for a little bit of smile and joy that keeps us going. They're little machines of constant need. There isn't any break in their needs. From there, they grow into little children that are still constant machines of need. The needs just happen to change. They have zero currency. The opposite side of that spectrum, have you been to a funeral recently? These are sad and difficult times where we mourn the loss of someone we have loved. You know what's not present there? All of the stuff that person has ever gained in their lifetimes. There's an old joke that you never see a U-Haul following a hearst. Although it is a joke, there is some truth to it. When we depart from this world, we are immediately found with God. We aren't immediately found with our stuff. We aren't immediately found with our bank accounts, with our currency. I had the honor of being with my grandfather whenever he passed away. We knew that he was on his way out, and the whole family had gathered together um, at his bedside for a few days while he slowly passed. Grandpa had some times of kind of lucid thoughts where, where he was able to articulate um, his life and speak to each one of us as family members individually. It was a time that I cherished greatly. You know what my grandpa was not concerned with? He wasn't concerned with his house. He wasn't concerned with his bank accounts. He wasn't concerned with his cars. There was no concern he had except for where he was going. That was his concern. My grandfather entered into, I believe, the kingdom of glory with joy and excitement. You brought nothing into this world, and you will take nothing out of this world. This is a reality of what it means to be here on this earth. This is a reality of our life. Goals are very important for many of us. Goals help us set that target to shoot for. Think through some goals that you might have in your personal life. What would change with your goals if the end was already given for you? If you already knew the outcome of that goal? If your goal is to gain as much wealth as possible, if your goal is to collect as many cars as you can in this lifetime, does that goal change when you fully understand that you can take none of it with you when you die? Then why in the world do we find ourselves living in this way so often? I would imagine that if you knew you would exit this world with nothing, that whatever you do have, you'd probably give it away to those that could still utilize it. What would it look like if all Christians lived in this way, that our finances were not for us? What would it look like if our goal was to gain wealth so that we could give it away to others for them to flourish? 
It's almost like if everything belonged to God and we simply get to steward what we have. In fact, that should sound very biblical. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Our objective in life is to be caretakers of what God has entrusted to us. This includes all of our stuff. This includes all of our finances. This includes all of our time. This includes our whole lives. What does it take for you to be content? Is it a new house? Is it maybe that new promotion, that new title? Is it maybe $10,000 extra on that yearly salary? The problem with all of these things is we often don't find contentment if we do gain them. We can look at countless celebrities, countless athletes who make insane amounts of money, and yet they feel hopeless. There's not a contentment found within their lives. There should be a lesson to us. We often think that we are somehow different. Look at me at verse 8. Verse 8 says that if we have food and clothing, we will be content. Is this true? Would you feel content with just food and clothing? Why or why not? Let me bring you back to the image of our Ethiopian friends. These kids have very little. Yet, there's smiles on those faces. They seem to be content. I would say that contentment is actually a cultural conditioning. Depending on the culture that you are in, your definition of contentment will change. If I were to transplant all of you, your bank accounts, your stuff, your house, your family, into a different culture, you might feel very much out of place. We have defined what it is to be content in north central San Antonio. We have defined what it is to be content here, even at Stone Oak Bible Church. We have defined what it means to be content within the individuals that we do life with, that we are in community with. If I were to transplant any of these things, any of your things, any of you into a different context, you would most likely feel very much out of place. It would be like showing up to the red carpet in workout clothes or going to Dollar General in a tuxedo and gown. It feels very different. What does it mean for us to be content then? First, let me say this. It is okay to have money. It is okay to have stuff. It is okay to have nice things. I love having nice things. The motto that I choose to live my life by whenever it comes to purchases, buy once, cry once. I would much rather buy something that is very nice that I know will last a long time rather than buy something not as nice that I have the possibility of buying multiples of. Buy once, cry once is how I choose to make a lot of purchases. Nice stuff isn't bad. Having money is not bad. In fact, I hope you all have huge bank accounts. I hope that God blesses you with an insane amount of wealth. I would love for every single person in here to have more money in your bank accounts than you ever thought was possible. I would love for your bank account, bank account to have more commas than you have ever seen in your life. 
Don't walk away from here today hearing something I am not saying. It isn't bad to be wealthy. It isn't bad to have nice things. However, that is not promised to us or guaranteed to us. This is where the text, I believe, really hits the heart of the issue. Is where do you find your contentment, though? Read verse 9 with me. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Are you desiring for your contentment to be found in money? This text warns us of this. This is so very tempting. As I said, our definition of contentment is found with those sitting around us. Are you ready for this stat? I went out to the census.gov website and pulled this stat up. In the 78258 zip code, which is where you are currently sitting, the average household income, this is from 2021, is $103,000 and $103,092. $103,092. That is the average within the 78258 zip code. Of course, there are some that will be higher and some that will be lower. This is how averages work. Either way, this is what we have defined as normal in this area. Are you content with your money? Do you desire to be rich? Why? Desiring to be rich is not always a negative thing. However, again, it is the heart that defines whether it is sinful or not. Verse 9 gives us the warnings. You can fall into a snare. You can do many senseless and harmful things, which will lead you to ruin and destruction because of your insatiable desire to be rich. I think you can also, be, you can also desire to be rich for a positive reason, kind of. I've heard of an individual um, that has said he works really hard to make a lot of money. And his purpose in doing this is so that he can have deeper pockets to care for a greater amount of people and give more away. He sees it as his reasoning for gaining wealth is so that he is able to distribute more. When he is de isn't desiring to be rich, he is desiring to earn a lot of money. Being rich is not a problem. Being selfish, being stingy, that is the issue at hand here. Why is it that you go to work? Have you ever thought about this? Tomorrow morning is Monday. Why is it that you will wake up, many of you, and go to your job? Most people go to work not because we enjoy our job. You don't believe me? Skip the next few paychecks. Just call HR and say, hey, for the next two months, I would just like to not get paid. See how eager you are to show up after a few weeks. We work to get compensated. This is the system that we have created to make sure that food is on the table, that clothes are on our backs, and a roof is over our head. This is good. However, what happens whenever we get a raise? For most of society, we take that raise 
and we raise up our lifestyle. We shop at different stores, we drive a different vehicle, we buy that house down the street that we have always wanted. We fulfill our contentment meter, and as soon as we fill that contentment meter, we move the goalposts just a little bit further. Contentment has just moved a little bit further away for us. You know, in writing the sermon, I came across a study conducted by some Harvard students, um, very bright, intelligent individuals. Without going through their entire findings, they, they wrote, of course, as Harvard students do, way too much. It was like a 40-something page document. I did not read the whole thing. While going through, though, their findings, I did want to present their summary and highlight some key points. The title of their document is, if money doesn't make you happy, then you probably aren't spending it right. First, catchy title, well done Harvard students. They say this, the relationship between money and happiness is surprisingly weak, which may stem in part from the way people spend it. Drawing on empirical research, we propose eight principles designed to help consumers get more happiness for their money. Specifically, we suggest that consumers, here's their eight, should number one, buy more experiences and fewer material, or, and fewer material goods. Number two, use their money to benefit others rather than themselves. Number three, buy more small pleasures rather than fewer large ones. Number four, eschew extended warranties and other forms of overpriced insurance. Five, delay consumption. Six, consider how peripheral features of their purchase may affect their day-to-day -day lives. Seven, beware of comparison shopping. And eight, pay close attention to the happiness of others. Isn't it amazing when science discovers what the Bible has already told us? A quarter of their eight points say that happiness comes when the money you earn isn't focused on you. That is biblical. When your currency of contentment is found in Christ, you're able to use your dollars, your stuff, to glorify God and to edify, to build up others. In doing so, there is a great happiness that is found within you. This is how God has designed us to utilize money. You know, we've discussed money quite a bit this morning. If you are feeling guilty for the size of your bank account, or you feel guilty that you make more today than you did at the same time last year, don't. Praise God that you have a full bank account. Look with me what God says about money, though, in verse 10. Verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Let's start here with the end. This craving can cause people to focus on money much more than God. And it can distract them for what God is calling them to do and God is calling them to be. We see that repeated from verse 9. Anytime that you see something repeated, or restated within scripture, pay attention. Check your heart when it comes to your desire for a larger bank account. Again, why is it that you would desire to be rich? Let's now back up and look at the beginning of verse 10. 
This verse has been misquoted quite a bit. I did a quick search of some memes regarding this and found it misquoted actually a bunch. There's a key word that is removed way too often from this text. What these memes said is money is the root of all evil. In the words of Dwight Schrute, false. Money is neutral. Money has no intentions. Money has no morals. If I were to lay out here a dollar bill, if I were to lay this money out, it is unable to act on its own. That dollar bill has no power. It is unable to get up and do anything. It is unable to send. Money isn't a problem. Whenever I grab that money, though, I can use it for good or for evil. I can take this money and I can bless someone. I can use this money to provide shelter for someone that is homeless. I can use this money to give food to the hungry. I can use this money to support local and foreign missionaries as they are proclaiming the gospel in other areas. I can use this money to support future church plants, future works. I can use this money to support a local church that proclaims the word of God faithfully. This money can be more valuable than the number actually stamped on it. When money is used for gospel purposes, it is so valuable. However, this money can also be used for negative things. I can use this money for all kinds of sinful actions. I don't need to go into the list of all the things and ways that this money can be used. You probably have a good idea of most of them already. Money itself is neutral. How do you currently spend your money? Is it serving a negative or a positive purpose? Is it being used for anyone other than you? So I know some great places for your funds to go. Even outside of Stone Oak Bible Church. Of course, you're free to give to the ministry that takes place here at Stone Oak Bible Church, but there's also great places for your money to be valuable. Money is not a problem. It is not the problem. The problem is us. The problem is our hearts. The text says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money that's the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money. This passage here is a heart check. Do you love money? Is your heart so focused on money, on growing that money, that it has become sinful? Why are you striving for that next pay raise? Why is it that you're trying to maximize your investments? This text should cause us all to evaluate why we are choosing to do the things that we are currently doing with our money. Is all of your money just going to serve you? Going to serve you and your goals? You might have a love of self issue. Is all of your money going to debt and to the next great thing? You might have a love of stuff issue. Is all of your money going to fill in the blank? You might have a love of fill in the blank issue. 
What about all of your excess? Is all of your excess going to support a missionary? Is all of your excess going to a local gospel-centered ministry? What is it that you love? Is it the work of God? Or is it the work of man? Does your bank account show what truly matters to you? Where is it that you find your contentment this morning? Our world will give you all kinds of things in which they say contentment can be found. It is not true. The currency of contentment is Christ and Christ alone. He is the only one that is able to satisfy our contentment. It's okay to be wealthy. It's okay to have stuff. But what is your heart? What is your heart saying, desiring? Is it chasing after Christ or is it chasing after something else? Are you content? Are you just waiting for something else to occur to make you feel more content? Your currency of contentment is found in Christ alone. He is the only one that is able to satisfy. He is the only one that offers true contentment. This morning, I urge you, find your contentment in Christ alone.